Hello everyone and welcome to Radical Normal. My name is Andre and I'm here with Michael. On today's episode titled Crucified King, we'll be talking about the crucifixion of Jesus. We hope you guys enjoy this episode. So what did we just do, Andre? So we just got back to Michael's house from uh, the gym. Unfortunately, it was a little difficult to find a place to work out today, but we're trying to get back into good skiing shape. You guys know we're going on a ski trip soon, but once we did find a place, we had sort of a rushed workout before uh, getting back and uh, excited to actually record. We we took a little bit of time off. Uh, you were in uh, Florida on a quick little vacation with your family, and, and now we're back after the um, Christmas holiday and all that. So I'm excited to, to record again today. Yeah, I got to say, it's a lot colder here. It's 37 this morning, whereas just a couple days ago, I was on the beach, 79, sunny, getting a tan, a lot nicer but over there. It was, it's beautiful outside today. Yeah, I'll give you that. It says 39, but the high is like 70, so it feels a lot warmer than it actually says it is, and it's just sunny and, and really beautiful. Not not too windy or anything like that, so it's it's really, really nice. Um, yeah, we're just trying to get into some better shape, probably do some running next week because we're going to go on that ski trip. Uh, so really excited to get to drive up to Colorado and do some skiing and exploring. And the best good news that we're going to get into today with the crucifixion is the gospel. But secondary or even tertiary to that is the good news of the fact that trying to find a workout place we could both go to over break, we got a $4 month membership. Yeah, that was that was really, really clutch. And yeah, and speaking of the other two things you mentioned, you know, Christmas was just yesterday from the time we we're recording this. Um and I, I told Michael that, you know, maybe we could do like an unboxing or something like that. I know those are really popular these days, but <laughs> <laughs> you sound like those people that run a fashion Instagram and yeah. get like a new box of, you know, materials or shampoos and they're like opening it and like, oh, this does this, this does this. But, I, you know, I will say we both got some, some cool stuff for our, our trip. Um, but, you know, the Christmas season is, is really great. We've done a lot of content about Advent season, Christmas and all that, um, so it was it was a really good time to get to spend with family and um I know at least my uncle and aunt um and some of my cousins were were over at my house and we just played card games and just had a, had a meal and it was just a really 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 good time. So I hope all of you guys had a really good Christmas and speaking more to the unboxing video that might be a little too much for for two guys like Michael and I um and kind of the vibe of our work here but <laughs> i i do want to say that you guys should definitely follow our instagram if you guys don't um that's at radically normal pod and our youtube is actually the same at radically normal pod and wait youtubes have ads do they you can just search it up like yeah, the radically, radically normal. normal pod yeah yeah and then you can uh find you know our, some of our videos from some of our episodes that um we actually recorded with video specifically our interviews are all on there if you want to see our actual interactions with the people we're interviewing but on our Instagram, you can see a lot of updates about the podcast. You can see our Instagram TV series, which is wrapped up. Uh, I'm really excited about that. Uh, we basically walk through the Bible in 17 weeks. If you guys uh, haven't tuned in to that or haven't heard any of our episodes, but you should definitely follow at Radical Normal Pod. Uh, we're going to release um, one of those Q&A type things on uh, our story for you guys to ask Q&A questions for our episode next week. Um, but you guys should definitely interact with um, the Instagram. We're going to try to be even more active than we were this uh, this season. Uh, we're you know testing out, messing around with some different things on there with IGTVs, and we're probably gonna send out a lot more um, you know polls and, and that type of thing. Um, so yeah, so you guys definitely interact with that. You know, I've actually considered. I don't know if I even have them have all the files still, but I've considered compiling all 17 IGTVs and making a comprehensive YouTube video. It'd probably be fairly long, but I think it could be interesting. 
it'd probably be about like an 17 times what like seven minutes on average yeah it'd be pretty long yeah it'd be like almost more than two hours probably yeah well yeah. we'll see if we do that but we'll see just just a uh, brainstorm and yeah like andre said christmas really sweet time uh not just to listen to silent night but you know went to a candlelight service and just to, like look around it's dark in there and all the lights are shining and just reminds you of john chapter one the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and so that was Christmas. We focus on the incarnation, the first coming of the Messiah. And today we focus on perhaps, especially in Mark's gospel, is on what is the climax of his work, going to the cross. And so, uh, Andre, if you're ready, we can just jump in. Mark chapter 15, we've covered 14 chapters in Mark so far. And last week we talked about uh, the betrayal of Jesus by Judas, uh, Peter's uh, threefold denial of Jesus, some of Jesus's interactions with the council, I think his prayer maybe, and much more. But now we're in chapter 15 today. I think, you know, one thing we talked about as we we're driving over here, one, I think potentially really good way uh, to, uh, you know, before, like jump in, I guess, kind of transition us into, you know, as you said, the climax of, of this book of the Bible and, you know, we really enjoyed our time. And as we were thinking and meditating and, and listening, I know I, I at least had read all the way through, uh, listened to the whole entire book just to kind of get an idea of, you know, where we wanted to take this season. And that was really a long time ago. And, and we decided on a title for the season. Um, and we were really excited about it. And we didn't really like touch on that at all after the first episode and kind of wanted to circle back to that and, you know, Give a little bit more information about about that again, and kind of kind of go full circle to from where we started and where we're at now um, with this season. So, do you want to talk about that for a little bit, and then maybe just a few minutes before we actually jump into the chapter? Yeah. So the we titled this the season in Mark the King and the Cross, and so that kind of goes right in hand with the title for today's episode, Crucified King. And this will be in the show notes, but that's all thanks to an amazing book by Jeremy Treat, The Crucified King. And so that just that book and Mark's gospel in particular, over, uh, relative to any other the other three gospels in the New Testament, emphasizes that the cross is not merely the death of the Messiah. The cross is the enthronement of the Messiah. So when Jesus resurrects, it's not that that's making him king. The resurrection is the resurrection of the king who was enthroned on the cross. So while most criminals are put to death and Roman power is emphasized on the cross, the opposite is the case with Jesus. Of all the symbols or ideas that could have come out of the Roman Empire, perhaps the most uh, well-known symbol from that time period is a cross today. And so the cross is the enthronement of Christ. And uh, I'll even end up referencing some some verses from Hebrews uh, chapter 2 as we get going. But yeah, so the as we get into today, the cross isn't just the the death and the atoning work of the Messiah, but it's also his enthronement. And, you know, I, I will just say that you know, we've learned a lot by, by walking through through this book um, and really like doing a deep dive into each chapter each week. And we've really enjoyed it. And if you want you know, to get some more information of how, why we decided on that title, um, our you know, reasoning for choosing this um, book of the Bible, maybe where the podcast is going next. Tune back into that first Mark episode for sure, where we really talked about this in depth and to get a better idea of, you know, we have been going through all of the books, uh, all the chapters of Mark, but, you know, but how does it all really tie together? What are all those themes and how is this really the climax of all of that? So I encourage you to, to go back and, and maybe start from the beginning if you haven't yet. Um, but in terms of Mark chapter 15, there's a lot to get to. So 
you know, we're going to go ahead and, and dive into that. Can I say one thing before we get going? Yeah, for sure, man. So this, uh, just like every chapter, we typically just walk section by section. Something I'm going to be trying to do, is, uh, just as a heads up, is to both be going through the sections in conversation and then also taking like uh, little deep dives into topics. So when Jesus dies on the cross, Mark doesn't write a whole like theological discourse on like what the atonement of Jesus is on the cross. But by compiling what the entire Bible says about it, we can learn a lot about what Jesus's death on the cross actually uh, affects or what it actually accomplishes. And so like taking little side notes to just go down some theological trails of like, what is this actually demonstrating? What does it mean that the temple uh, veil is torn into two? And so we'll be maybe doing some like theological dives on the side as we walk through the passage. Sweet man, yeah. And if you listen to the IGTV series, just for a quick plug again, um, yeah, we, we did like more of a broad overview of, of kind of this, this whole entire um, crucifixion section and, and kind of how it plays in, in the whole bible but now we're really gonna take a deep dive here but yeah man that's that's really good and that's something that you know we've been striving to accomplish and, and make it more like conversational this whole time um rather than just going verse by verse but um yeah let's let's go ahead and, and jump in from chapter uh, into chapter 15 you're gonna give an overview of chapter 14 so um i think now uh, we're we're pretty much ready to jump in um specifically uh, you know last time we saw um how uh, Jesus was taken to the Jewish authorities and their decisions, but uh, a little historical context would be important here. Uh, we start off with seeing Jesus being delivered uh, to Pilate, and you might be thinking, like, okay, so why now? Why did the Jewish leaders just kill Jesus? Why did they um, turn him over to the Roman authorities? Why does there have to be a second trial? Like, what's really going on here? And Michael's really good at giving a lot of historical context, but. <laughs> Just just as a primer before he gives you probably much more in depth, I'm sure. It's it goes back to a lot of the things that we've been touching on this whole time of, of this like political um revolution thing that Jesus has been trying to avoid. So the Jewish leaders didn't really have this authority to just go go ahead and just, you know, behead or, or crucify or or put to death um someone for the reasons that they were saying, like religious regions. So they ended up going to turning Jesus over to Pilate, to the Roman authorities. And, you know, the accusation here was saying he's claiming to be the king of the Jews. So they didn't say he's claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming to be God. Anything like that. The Roman authorities wouldn't have really cared. Um, they didn't really care for the Jews or their traditions or anything like that. They were in power over them. But when they go ahead and say he's claiming to be the king of the Jews, um, when we when we think of it from that lens, it's more of that political revolution thing where potentially um, the idea would be that the Romans would think that the Jews are trying to overthrow um, using Jesus as this political head. And it's really interesting to me, at least because this whole time, that's exactly what Jesus has been trying to avoid. And with, you know, the Jewish leaders not having the actual authority to put him to death in that way. Um, it's interesting that, you know, the one thing he's trying to avoid goes back and that's what they use against him. And it's like the one thing that, you know, he actually didn't do. He actually is the Messiah. He actually is claiming to be God, but um, he actually is God. But, you know, they have to go ahead and say, no, he's claiming to be the king of the Jews, which which in and of itself is true, but not in the way that, you know, they're saying that he's trying to make some kind of political revolution. Yeah, that's really good. I don't want to dive too much. I don't want to do like a whole Mike's history lesson, as Andre might be hinting at. But I do think it's worth noting, like he says, so Pontius Pilate is part of the Roman authorities. He was a his official title would have been prefect in English, like a Roman prefect of Judea, which is essentially like a governor. So as uh, Abbott would go to Texas or Stitt would go to Oklahoma, he would be somewhat like that for Judea. 
And so Pilate would actually come to Jerusalem for Passover when all the Jews came to the temple. So it would be normal for him to like be in the area pretty much at around this time because we're near the Passover festival. But he would have lived in a, in a city called Caesarea. And so like Andre said, it's very interesting that they bring Jesus to Pilate and they don't mention that anything about like messianic claims. They make a more political claim that Pilate would have cared about. And this actually serves two other purposes. First, if, if this was true, Rome could stop a revolt on Jesus's behalf uh, in support of Jesus. And second, a pro-Jesus movement. So if a bunch of people began to follow Jesus, uh, this would be hurt by its leader ending up on a cross. So the Jews would be thinking, okay, if Jesus is crucified and Pilate, if Jesus is crucified, knowing the shame and guilt culture of Rome, which was uh, much particularly more elevated than today, even you could say, uh, then it would not hurt the, it would definitely hurt the movement for Jesus to end up on a cross. And so in this first section, just the first five verses, we see that in the morning, so right after Jesus was arrested and before the council, the chief priests and the Jews deliver him over to Pilate, and Pilate asks him if he's king of the Jews. But in verse 5, it's worth noting that Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. And it's not until later that we see Jesus uh, speak again. And so verse 5 goes along with Isaiah 53, which is perfect on like Jesus being the crucified Messiah who's pierced for our transgressions. It says that he opened not his mouth. So Jesus is fulfilling this and making no, no further answer. Uh, in this first section when he's delivered over to Pilate. Yeah, and speaking to the amazement, you know, that you mentioned at the end of verse 5, a lot of that comes in because, you know, this, you know, idea of crucifixion, at least at this time, one of the resources I was looking at potentially said that, you know, Roman citizens weren't even allowed to be crucified. Like, that was too shameful. Um, it was typically, you know, reserved for, you know, uh, Jews, um, which they, like, were ruling over, as well as, like, their slaves, um, so like you said, yeah, like there was this big thing of like, this was this really shameful thing, um, really points to, you know, Jesus having to take on that, uh, cup of judgment that we've been talking about. But yeah, and I, and I, I think it's interesting that here we begin to see how, um, in with that amazement as well, that we begin to see how Pilate doesn't really like find Jesus to, to be guilty. He, he sees something that's like wrong here. He doesn't really understand, um, potentially doesn't even identify Jesus to be the, the Messiah, but even in, uh, Luke chapter 23, we see, um, Pilate say that he finds no fault in this man specifically he doesn't say that here in Mark but like through many of the actions that we're going to see Pilate take we know that he potentially and others as well aren't seeing it they're not finding this this guilt um, within Jesus like he, he doesn't want to put Jesus to death um, and, and he sees that this is mostly a um, political kind of ordeal that's going on. Yeah, it's exactly, because if we're looking into the next section now in verses 6 through 15, where Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified, uh, so it's at the at a feast, this is Passover, and it's a custom, according to John 18, there's a custom where one, uh, one prisoner, a criminal, is released, and they end up asking uh, for Barabbas instead, but it's interesting that, like Andre said, Pilate's basically apathetic. He doesn't find Jesus worthy of crucifixion, there's nothing really wrong, there's no guilt there. But he also doesn't find Jesus worthy of going against the crowd. So since he's not worthy of either one, what's Pilate going to do? He's just going to choose the route of political expediency, and he's going to uh, give Jesus over to crucifixion. And so, uh, like we've said before, saying king of the Jews is just a way of making Messiah more political, and it would have been of more interest to Pilate. But it's still, he doesn't even find any problem uh, with Jesus. And in my view, kind of, you see verse 11 that uh, they stirred up the crowd or the, the chief priest stirred up the crowd. 
So in my view, this kind of fits with the idea that like, even if it's illogical in this world, there's going to be strong opposition to Jesus regardless. There's going to be hardness of heart. And that's a story for all of us, that there is hardness of heart and that the spirit must regenerate. The spirit must do that supernatural work that we cannot do in coming to Jesus. But uh, again, it doesn't make sense, at least in this view, and it wouldn't make sense even today if we understood the cross that the king of the world is the one who's crucified on a cross. Like the fact that people wear round cross necklaces would have made no sense in first century, second century Rome. And so that's just incredible. That's really good, man. And yeah, I think that this, you know, we continue to see how, you know, Pilate is looking for a way to save or spare Jesus. He like, he identifies that there's, there's this man, you know, he didn't do anything wrong to deserve this shameful thing. And, And like you said, we see the hardness of heart and we see that, you know, the crowd of, you know, this isn't like all just like Roman citizens who are trying to spite, um, you know, Jesus as being, you know, this uh, political threat, King of the Jews. This is like a lot of like Jewish citizens who are, you know, in this crowd. It says that, that, that the chief priests are stirring them up. Um, I saw somewhere that, you know, it was like in one of the resources I read, I was reading in, in preparation. It was talking about how, you know, this, this, uh, ceremony, this like ritual type thing where they, they spare one um, person, uh, potentially happened like early morning. And the people who were Jesus's followers were potentially coming from other like places such as like Galilee. And they potentially would have been staying outside of the city. So at the time when like this was happening, they, they held it early morning, um, ensured that a lot of Jesus's followers weren't there. And even if some of Jesus's followers were there, we do see that the hardness of heart where the crowd is literally cheering, um, to save a murderer um, instead of saving Jesus. Um, and we see, you know, his, you know, his grace really poured out where, you know, he, you know, he sees his like, like own Jewish um, people who are supposed to be like following him. They're literally cursing him, making fun of him. We see like later they're mocking him. You know, this, it, you know, this was like really hard on him. Uh, we know that. And it, it's just like terrible that, you know, they were just literally just, you know, cursing him, you know, asking for him to be crucified and, and such like, uh, you know, this death by such a awful means, um, like literally like you, you can't breathe, you're just bleeding. But we know that, you know, that was what was necessary, that that shame, like all of those things. It's literally what was necessary for like our own sins. Like that's what the punishment that we should have been taking. And it's interesting to see like how, you know, bad that was, especially um, both like politically as well as like culturally at the time. And that was like what was required, you know, to pay the sins. Um, so we might have that connection with, uh, rehab that connection with God. Yeah. Commentators of, so Andre's talking about, uh, death in our place for our sins. And so one thing that's worth noting is that in first Peter three, it, uh, verse 18, it says that Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And so some commentators in various, uh, for various gospel accounts think that it's possible that what the gospel authors are doing is showing that Jesus has given over to die while a criminal, uh, Barabbas, is set free. Mm-hmm. And so this is like an early picture of substitutionary atonement, which I'm going to define later on when we get into like what the crucifixion accomplished. Yeah, that's but, really good. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a foreshadowing of what the crucifixion does, that, w- that the person who deserved to die, the actual criminal, the guilty one is set free while the innocent one is uh, crucified. Yeah, man, that's really good. And, and we get to see, you know, he's later on, we're going to see he's, he's crucified alongside two other criminals. So it's like, He's like, he's in our place with the people we, you know, we see that like the location has, you know, the, we're about to get into like, there's like skulls 
around like we see like what our fate should have been he's being crucified to people who deserve that fate um the one who should have actually died is set free and yet you know he's here not defending himself not bringing forward witnesses we see that you know towards the end of this chapter um people identify that he did go around he did these miracles and like this is still happening and it's it, it seems really backwards but it's actually like in such perfect harmony that it's allowing us to have that relationship with god yeah, man, that's really good. And so like Andre said, they are mocking him. And so in the, into the next section, we see that uh, they're let, he's led into, uh, he's led away inside the palace. And so they put on a purple cloak. They give him a crown of thorns and they say king of the Jews and they're just mocking him. And so it's worth noting that, and we're going to see this in the next section as well with the actual crucifixion event. But Mark actually spends a lot more time talking about uh, like and emphasizing the fact that Jesus is mocked and shamed than he does like the brutal uh, death of what it would mean to actually die on a cross. He just, he spends more time talking about the mocking and it's actually ironic. And Andre did a great job in the last chapter talking about irony. And this is ironic too, because they don't get that Jesus is the King and that he is enthroned in his crucifixion, as I said earlier. And so they lead him out to crucify him after mocking him, but they don't understand that he's about to be enthroned, just not in the way that, anybody would expect and like you were saying in, in verse 19 um they were you know they were mocking him dressed him as a king calling him the king of the jews and the irony there like you were saying but then you know looking in, in verse 19 how they're kneeling down in homage to him you know even more like on a, on a broader picture you know these people who are just mocking him spitting in his face and you know doing the worst kinds of things to like the like literal savior of all of us you know we know I, I, it's not in Mark, but in, in other of the gospels, you know, Jesus says, you know, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. But the irony here is that one day every knee is going to bow to Jesus. And, you know, these people are going to feel real, Amen. real silly. And, you know, they're going to know this is like the you know most important thing that ever happened, you know, in the, in the history of, of the world's, you know, m- most importantly in the history of, of these people's lives. Um, these three days here and, and they're over here like in this place of mocking um, and, and those kinds of things. And this is like, there's that separation we talked about last time between, you know, here between like these Jewish leaders and Pilate where Pilate, you know, he feels bad for what's going on. He doesn't, he wishes not to crucify Jesus. And then we see the Jewish leaders who want to crucify him like so bad and just want to mock him, spit on him, um, punish him, whip him and all, and all these other things. That's so good. And right before verse 19 that Andre was talking about, when they salute him, as he referenced, hail king of the Jews, I actually read that this is potentially a parody of something that uh, some people would use as a salute to Caesar, who was the, the Roman emperor. And so they would say, Ave Caesar, victor imperator. And so imperator meant commander and Ave meant hail. And so this could be a parody of what they would actually say to Caesar, who would be their king. And I just want to reemphasize that, again, on the cross, this is Jesus' enthronement. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it says about Jesus, We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So in the suffering of death, he's crowned with glory and honor. And so we move into the story of the, the crucifixion. And uh, Simon carries his cross and they bring him to uh, Golgotha. And which, what's interesting about this is not just that it's called place of a skull, but about where Golgotha was. This was outside the city. And so in Nehemiah, we talked a lot about the exile and we also did it in the IGTV. 
but it's like Jesus outside of the city of Jerusalem is enduring exile on our behalf to redeem us and bring us out of the exile of sin back into God's presence. And so the crucifixion is Jesus calling us out of our own exile. And so uh, the picture there uh, is something that uh, we should all pay attention to. That's really good, man. And not, not something I picked up on, but definitely really good. And definitely something we should really, really think about how um, Jesus really was that suffering servant and how, you know, everything that's going on here and this whole process was all by God's plan, um, how he was taken out of the city, um, how that kind of can represent that exile, and how all of these things are really necessary for our own atonement. We should look at this and meditate on how this was necessary. This is the death that we deserved. Like I said a little bit earlier, like even looking at the location, he's amongst all these skulls just laying around. Um, potentially once uh, these Jewish murderers or, or prisoners or, or even like the slaves that the Romans had were crucified, you know, potentially no one cares about who they are. Um, we know that people came and, and took Jesus' body and, and preserved it and, and anointed it and all of that. But typically they would just let them rot, you know, like vultures or whatever would potentially come and pick them apart. And you would just see like the remains, the skulls there. And that's what, that should have been, been our fate. Um, that should not have been something that Jesus was enduring, that, that feeling of exile, that feeling of being, you know, feeling forsaken by the Father. That should have been what we um, should have had to endure. But we know that, you know, there's no way we could have endured it. And, you know, we, we need to look to how that was, that was all necessary for our atonement. And we should just see, you know, the grace abounding here. Yeah, man, that's incredible. And I want to point out real quick, because Andre said that like people would be left out on the on the cross, right? You said that to yeah. rot. And so what's interesting is that like some Bible skeptics or agnostics, well, I want to say this now, I was going to say it later, because you'll see that Jesus is buried starting in verse 42, which we'll get to eventually. It is true that Romans typically left bodies on crosses, but one could request to the authorities to have the body. And this certainly would have been the case for Jesus because burial was a big, big deal. Uh, for the Jewish culture. So uh, in 2 Samuel, we see that burial of the dead was important. And in Deuteronomy, even burial of the executed people who suffered through capital punishment was important. So burial was important. And uh, this explains why Jesus would have been buried. And it's an objective sound response to somebody doubting why Jesus's body would have ever even been taken off the cross. And so now back into like where we have been talking about. I, I, will, just want- say, I will say one more point about that. And like just like thinking of the times of like what was going on um if that like question or concern ever comes up which it never has for me but i have like seen like articles about it or whatever but two other things we know that Pilate, who would have been like in kind of some what of control of the situation he thought that your he believed jesus to be innocent so when joseph came in and asked for the body you know he would not have had such a problem with it versus would it have been some kind of criminal who made some kind of um um, wrongdoing towards the Roman government. And then also because of the um, festivals which were going on, they wouldn't have wanted some kind of body just rotting on a cross um, due to, you know, the actual festivities that were going on. Yeah, man, that's really good. I'm glad you added that. I hadn't thought through those things. And so I just wanted to point out in the crucifixion event, especially starting in verse 21, but really the entire chapter uh, that we're in today, there's so many verses that'll f- that are fulfilling Old Testament prophecy that uh, Matthew or Luke will like spend more time like alluding back to or John that Mark 
just assumes that his readers might uh, know from the Old Testament because Mark is just as sprinkled with the Old Testament as other Gospels. So, for instance, when his wine is mixed with myrrh, that's ref- I just I don't I just want to say that these are there so you hear them, but we're not gonna spend time reading every verse. But like the wine mixed with myrrh in verse twenty three refers back to Psalm sixty nine. And this drink was supposed to take away some pain on the cross, but Jesus didn't take it. And when they divide his garments, that's a reference to Psalm twenty two, which I think is the same chapter uh, where it says like, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Which is also one of Jesus's quotes on the cross. And so. These these parts are all like written with um, Old Testament imagery, and so in verse thirty one and thirty two, when the when the scribes mock him and say he saved others, he can't save himself. Let him come down from the cross. This is all echoing Isaiah fifty three, uh, where it says he was despised. He's uh, we esteemed him stricken, smitten, my God, afflicted. Uh, we've turned uh, our we have turned to his own way, and the Lord laid on him iniquity of us all. And then in verse twelve of Isaiah 53, it says that he's been numbered with the transgressors. He's been numbered with the criminals. So all of this is written with Old Testament imagery. We just don't have time to go through every verse. I just wanted to point it out that it's there. I I had maybe like a few points about each of the things that you said, but I think that you know your overview is super great. I just want to point out one comment about one of those. It just touched on a little bit more, but in verse 32, where um, in their mocking, they're saying, let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. I think that this was super interesting um, just because, you know, potentially, you know, had Jesus come down from the cross in this moment, which he could have, you know, easily, like 100%, that would have helped potentially someone um, who was there believe and, and not have this hardness of heart. Or, or like, I'm, I'm just saying that I'm sure that if Jesus comes down from the cross, despite the hardness of heart, despite the skeptics, I think that in this situation, you know, every knee would bow and everyone would be in, in, in awe of the situation that, you know, he was crucified, you know, like in the process of literally dying and was able to miraculously take himself down from the cross. And I think that potentially, you know, would have been really great for the skeptics in the crowd, but it's really interesting to think that, you know, in the perfect plan, had he done that, you know, that would have, you know, really ruined everything to where, um, the atonement for, you know, all of, all of us would have been, you know, that we it wouldn't have accomplished the goal of, of having that atonement and, and allowing us to be, you know, reunited and, and allowed in, in God's presence. I think that, you know, thinking about that is, you know, just super interesting. And, um, yeah. And I think that it's really interesting to think about how, you know, he easily could have come down from the cross. I I don't think that, you know, Jesus was having some kind of good time. This wasn't like some jolly (laughs) old time for him. Um, you know, and and more into like hearing those, you know, those mocking things of come down, come down, you know, I think that that's just super interesting to think about how, you know, how backwards that really is. Yeah, that's, that's really good, and we know that it wasn't a jolly old time. Hebrews does tell us that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, but we know that's the joy that he knew he would have with the Father afterwards, and we see that he suffered. So starting in verse 33, there was darkness over the whole land for three hours. Some people think that this was an eclipse. This is a supernatural darkness. So this is uh, where I just kind of like to pull back things from, say, so we know from the beginning of the gospel account that Mark kind of set this whole thing up as a new exodus, that this was like a new exodus uh, into redemption. And so in light of Egypt's sin, God judged Egypt with darkness in the ninth plague back in Exodus, I think, 10. And so darkness covered the entire land before all of the firstborn sons in Egypt were killed. Egypt had darkness for three days. Here it's for three hours. And now the only son of God, the firstborn son of God, as it's referred to in the New Testament, 
is the one that's killed. And like in the 10th plague, the, the blood of the lamb covered the doors to protect from judgment. Here, the blood of the lamb will cover the sins of all people. And so this is a, the darkness is definitely an Exodus reference. And it's also a supernatural darkness. It's not some sort of eclipse. And like, as Andre had been talking about, we see the suffering of Jesus because he, he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is the original Aramaic. Which means, as Mark tells us, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we see the depth of Jesus' suffering on uh, on the cross. Just one note I'll throw in is it's interesting that false gospel accounts, I think Gospel of Peter included, but in other Gnostic texts that were heretical, don't like that Jesus suffers. So they don't actually include it. It was either that he only appeared to suffer or he was taken to heaven before he got to suffer. And so later gospel accounts don't like that Jesus suffered, but this is what happened. And it's important that we pay attention to that. Yeah, for sure. And in addition to, you know, your your uh, great Aramaic, the Aram- Aramaic, is that, is that how you pronounce Aramaic. it? Aramaic. Aramaic there. <laughs> um, you know, before that, you said like really emphatically how this was a supernatural darkness. One thing that I saw interesting, huh, just to point out, I don't even, I don't know exactly, I didn't write it down, but I, I did read about it, um, how... You know, this time would have been during a full moon, I think, and how it's like impossible for an eclipse to happen during a full moon. Oh, interesting. So that this would have had to have been a supernatural darkness. <clears throat> and more specifically, uh, not in this um, book, but in others, you know, we know that Jesus says, you know, it is finished. And I was, you know, reading a lot about how not just that he was, you know, in that moment dying, which, you know, he did. But in that moment, you know, the, the price for atonement was paid. Um, and you know, we see in verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, um, from top to bottom. And I think that, you know, it's worthwhile to spend, you know, quite a bit of time on this and, um, how important, you know, this, uh, specific moment is, um, and everything that's happening, how this is like the moment we've been waiting for. Um, and once Jesus says it is finished, um, we know that, you know, we, uh, are able to buy into that, you know, free gift of salvation, um, by accepting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And that is accomplished all right here. Right, exactly. It's accomplished all right here. And we see it happen because the, the Roman centurion is the the climactic uh, response or proclamation of the entire gospel. Mark proclaimed Jesus as Son of God in the, in the first verse of the entire gospel. And then since then, we've only seen a true proclamation of Jesus' nature by demons. And so here we get to what Mark's goal of writing is, pretty much. He, the centurion says, truly, this man was the Son of God. So Jesus' death on the cross, like Andre accomplished, allowed us to come into God's presence with salvation. And so when the curtain of the temple is torn in two— it goes back to the temple and the tabernacle. The temple veil separated Israel from God's presence in the Holy of Holies. And so now with this torn, with the final atonement that the high priest usually made, now we can come into God's presence. And so what's significant about this, though, one of my favorite episodes we recorded the entire season was on the Transfiguration, Mark chapter 9. And so what's interesting, I just want to point out one more verse before I do a little comparison, but in verse 35, some of the bystanders think that instead of calling out to God, Jesus is calling out to Elijah, because some people think that because Elijah was taken up into heaven by a whirlwind in the fiery chariots in 2 Kings, Elijah is going to come back and rescue Jesus. And so I think this is from Jeremy Treat's book, but I could be wrong, but the transfiguration, the cross have an extreme contrast. At the transfiguration, there's an extreme light. Here, there's a supernatural darkness. At the transfiguration, there's brightened white clothes. Here, Jesus' clothes are stripped off. 
at the transfiguration, there's two saints, Moses and Elijah. Here, there's two criminals. Uh, at the transfiguration, there's a conversation with Elijah. Now, there's a perceived conversation with Elijah. In chapter 9, the disciples are present at the transfiguration. And in chapter 14, at the end, the disciples fled. And in the transfiguration, God speaks. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. In this chapter, God does not speak. God appears to be absent. And so, uh, Treats talks about how the kingship is hidden in Jesus' death. And so, there's a contrast here, but it's worth noting all the connections that Mark makes. And so, now we've talked about the curtain being torn. We've talked about the centurion, and we see women looking on from a distance. Just real quick, it's worth noting that Mark overwhelmingly talks about women in a very positive sense. And we're going to be talking more about women as they're like the first witnesses, especially Mary Magdalene, to the resurrection. And this is just like a typical point you might hear. But if you're building your case for why the the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus occurred as you want to tell it, you do not make women your way to tell it because... At this time in Jewish and in Roman culture, you didn't they didn't really trust a testimony of a woman. And so it would not make sense to make your main case based on what a woman had to testify to other people. And so when the centurion says, truly, this man was the son of God, this is the message that the uh, women are going to get to see in fullness as he's risen, as he rises from the dead next week when we talk about that. And so it's worth noting now that we know that Jesus is the son of God from the centurion, it's worth noting that Jesus' identity was hidden in the first half. Only the father and the demons got it right. But since Mark 9, he's been on his way to the cross. And so Mark's telling us we can't know the full identity of Jesus until we see uh, Jesus on the cross. And so as we kind of, uh, when we get to the end of the chapter, I'm going to kind of talk about models of thinking about what the crucifixion did. Uh, but it's worth just saying again, like Andre said, like this is the climactic scene that's purchased salvation for uh, all who would come to believe in God, all who God has called unto salvation. And so this is a noteworthy, noteworthy event. This is uh, this is the scene in which the disciples thought all was lost, but in truth, all all hope was found. And so, Andre, what do we see here as we get into the burial? Do you want to start talking about that? Yeah, man, for sure. So like we said earlier, Jesus wasn't just you know, left up on the cross to be picked apart by vultures or, or whatever, which is likely what um, would have happened. We know that, you know, uh, we're going to, you know, see later, um, not in this chapter, but, um, you know, three days later, we know he's going to rise again. So we know that, you know, he needed to be taken down from the cross. He's going to be buried. Um, We see that Joseph of Arimathea. Arimathea. Thank you, Michael. Let's go. Um, goes and, you know, uh, seeks out that permission uh, from Pilate to take Jesus down from the cross. I think it's interesting to point out that typically a, a crucifixion would have taken much longer. Um, Pilate is actually amazed that Jesus has already died. And we see the centurion come back in again and say, you know, you know he's like truly dead. Um, so we see again how his accounts um, were really important. Um, just as he proclaimed Jesus to truly be the son of God. Um, here, you know, we see his, import- his importance as... Um, verifying uh, the death of Jesus uh, come back into play um, here again. Um, and then also interesting to think that, um, you know, Joseph of Arimathea held in high regard. You know, I saw, you know, in one place where, you know, this was probably the most important thing he ever did in his entire life, taking that courage to go and um, ask for Jesus to be taken down and, and actually like properly, um, you know, this anointing prop process, uh, bearing process, um, you know, and we see that, you know, no one else had gone in and asked for Jesus to be taken down, but we see, you know, that courage that, that he, 
had to go and ask and, and, you know, do that right thing and do right by, um, by Jesus. Yeah, that's so good. Mark doesn't make a ton of editorial comments. So I like how he talks about his courage. And then I like how he says in verse 43 that Joseph of Arimathea, who was respected, so we know that he would have been respected and wealthy. It says, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. So we just get this little little hint, this little picture into Joseph's heart. And I just really like that, like that picture. And so like Andre said, we've already talked about uh, them leaving bodies on the crosses versus burying and why Jesus would have been buried. But as usual with me, it's Oreo sandwich time. From verses 40 and 41, talking about the women, all the way from 1547 with Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother uh, of Joseph, and, and who was actually the mother of Jesus too, that those two sections all the way from 1547 through the end of the gospel where the women testify to the resurrection or the women are there, that's an entire sandwich. So these women in the middle and then these women to begin uh, chapter 16, that's a whole sandwich piece. And right there in the middle, we have Jesus's burial uh, with Joseph, but the women are at a distance and the women are afraid and Joseph is near to Jesus. He's courageous and he's looking for the kingdom. So we have a little bit of contrast uh, there. And so Joseph lays him in a tomb that's cut out of the rock. That was pretty typical. And so that's just kind of all I have kind of on walking through the text. And I do want to do a little bit of con conversing about just like what the atonement was. Uh, but do you have anything else in the text? Yeah, actually, I was just reminded of one, one note I didn't get. We, I don't think we'd really talked about. But going back to verse uh, 21 and, and the crucifixion section and, and uh, tying that into here, verse 42, uh, the burial section, uh, we didn't really talk about uh, Simon who carried the cross. And it, it doesn't seem like such a big uh, point over there, but then also here Joseph, um, who goes in and gets uh, Jesus's body from the cross, um, who also says he was um, looking for the kingdom himself. I think it's really interesting to think about how you know we're called to take up our cross and follow after Jesus. And these two people, who I think in the first case uh, Simon probably didn't want to be doing carrying the cross. In this case, Joseph really is seeking out the kingdom, but both of these people like in high regard are near Jesus are near the cross, um, in this moment. And I think that, you know, is pointing out to us how, you know, we need to be near the cross, near the crucifixion, near to what um, Jesus did for us That's good. to, you know, fully, um, you know, accomplish what, you know, he's calling us to do, which is to take up our own cross and follow after him. I think we should be looking towards these two men um, who were near the cross and tie ourselves, hold ourselves uh, to the word to um, as near as to the cross as we can, especially as we uh, proclaim the gospel to others, uh, making sure that we are pointing out this specific moment, this climactic moment of um, the gospel. Yeah, it's interesting. Mark 8 is typically taken figuratively when it's Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Uh, if you want to be my disciple, Simon does it literally. He just, he actually takes up the cross. And so there are some speculations that like Mark's pointing out like, hey, somebody's actually taking up a cross and following Jesus. I think that's just a little, I don't know. I don't know if Mark's like pointing yeah. that out, but uh, I think like one point I will make is that, you know, Simon was told, you know, potentially this was like an embarrassing thing. I, I said it could have, I saw somewhere that it could have been embarrassing, Yeah. but that he was like happy that he was doing it for Jesus. He, you know, he would have been coming for um, the feast and all that. And then here we see Joseph takes courage. I think that, you know, an application to our own lives. I think sometimes, um, you know, for Michael and I, you know, I think sometimes you need that like accountability and, but, you know, it was coming from the Jewish leaders who were mocking Jesus and all that. But sometimes in whatever way it may come, someone needs to tell you and remind you and push you back in that direction of you need to pick up your cross and follow after Jesus. And sometimes, you know, we take the courage, um, to go and, you know, tell someone about the gospel or pick up our cross and follow after Jesus, however you want to think about it. 
Um, but there's like those two instances, no matter how it gets done though. Um, you know, sometimes I might get a text from Michael and it says, you know, how are you doing, you know, and, and reading the Bible and all that. And, you know, maybe potentially I'm, I'm struggling in that season and that's what I need. And someone needs to, you know, literally tell you, you know, make sure you're doing these things and all that. And sometimes you're taking courage and, and you're the one sending the text like, Hey Mike, how are you doing? And, and these things, um, you know, but I think that both are valid and both are super important. I, I think that applying that to our lives, which we didn't really talk about too much in this episode, but I think that's one thing we can look to. Man, that's super good. That's, that's very applicable. And so I want uh, maybe I want to move into something that might feel a little more abstract, but I promise it's not. This is essential to us understanding what Jesus did. And so to to mention atonement theories and then to feel that that's boring, I mean, that's like saying like, well, we don't need to know what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And so there's many ideas about what that did. The most common one today is just known as penal substitutionary atonement. This is pretty much what every, not everybody, but a lot of people just commonly think. Jesus died for my sins. He satisfied God's justice and wrath towards sin. And so he took that upon himself on the cross. And as a result, I'm no longer under God's judgment and wrath. And I can freely enter into God's presence via Jesus's blood. And so that's pretty much just like, that's known as substitutionary atonement that I hinted at earlier. Uh, this was made popular with the Reformation in the 16th century. And so uh, that I basically just explained it. The main two ideas are ex- explanations for why this is true. Isaiah 53, he bore our transgressions and uh, was uh, crucified for iniquity. And then uh, the other one is just an in-depth understanding of Leviticus 16. Again, Leviticus is important. Read it. And so Leviticus 16, the day of atonement's offered. And so what, how that, how the atonement, how the blood functions there in covering the sins of the people. And so some people think that this uh, basically is like a godly child abuse type of thing, which is like the main objection that the father is abusing his child. Uh, but that does, I think that that's kind of like a misunderstanding of what's going on because the son is willfully submitting uh, here. And so we see that Jesus, this is the dying for our sins. That's mainly held in this view. Uh, second, just to go through these briefly, Christus Victor is probably like the most common view over history, perhaps. It's that in Victor or victory, Jesus has accomplished victory over like evil powers of, of Satan. Uh, and so in 1 John 3, it says that the Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's work or the work of the devil. And so it shows that Jesus, uh, Jesus is victorious over, and I think in John 12 or somewhere like that, he says, on the cross, uh, I'm going to cast out the devil. And so we see that he has defeated. And uh, this is a really important one that we've spent some time talking about. But in recapitulation, which is just a fancy word, uh, Jesus is like a second Adam who Adam failed in the garden. He's a better Adam who is uh, basically as Adam is like the father of mankind. Now Jesus is our better father, the better Adam. And so we're brought into this head of humanity who uh, has been obedient and then lastly, this is the th- these these two uh, are perhaps weaker, um, but moral influence basically just shows that you know uh, Jesus went to the cross in love, which is true. But basically, just that because of that, we need to live with love as a result. And so that is true. But if we only hold that view, then it's kind of weaker because it doesn't actually show us what Jesus accomplished on our behalf. And then satisfaction theory has been replaced by substitutionary atonement, but it just says that God's honor was satisfied on the cross. So while we have affronted God's dignity, Jesus has restored it. 
And so there's many other theories we could get into. I want to focus on penal substitutionary atonement, that Jesus has satisfied God's wrath on our behalf, and that as a result of Jesus' blood being spilt on the cross, we can enter freely into God's presence. And uh, as a result of that, Jesus is King and the, the Lord of Lords, and we can enter freely into God's presence because of his crucifixion and resurrection. And that's the good news of the gospel. Yeah, man, that's that's really, really good. I think you said it you know, better than, than it what I could have. And that's probably a really good summary. If you, if you want to get more into that, I'm sure there's like plenty of resources, um, that, you know, you can look into online or whatever, but, um, in closing, I just want to say, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. It's going to be a little bit on the longer side, um, <laughs> For sure. but this is definitely the focus of what we were really, you know, looking to. And like we said, the climax of, of this book, but also of, um, the gospel, our inspiration for the title of, of this season, I really wanted to do a good job of of walking through and giving some really good uh, biblical and historical context for you guys. Um, And more on a lighter note, as I'm looking in uh, Michael's little office here, I I see a nice 10 books over there on on a nice shelf. And I'm guessing that's your top 10 books of the year or whatever. So there might be an an additional like bonus type thing on the YouTube potentially um, if Michael gets around to it where he's going to go through some of his favorite books, which I'm sure will include some nice resources Um, for you guys if you are interested but besides that hope you guys have a great new year's and had a good christmas uh, season and we'll talk to you on thursday so see you guys later